You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Hey folks, Brian Nichols here from The Brian Nichols Show. Are you tired of partisan politics? Do you want to hear the news without that media narrative? Do you want to be more well-rounded as a person? Or how about this? Do you want to get to know and learn from noted entrepreneurs, elected officials, C-level executives, economists, and more? Well, how about this? Look no further. Welcome to The Brian Nichols Show. Again, I'm your host, Brian Nichols. Go ahead and learn more at briannicholsshow.com. Okay, so hear me out. You like getting cash back for the normal stuff you buy throughout your week, right? Of course you do. Check out the Dosh app. That's D-O-S-H, Dosh. Dosh is available at the App Store and Google Play Store and securely connects to your credit or debit card. From there, every time you use those cards, Dosh searches for available offers. Once it finds one, Dosh automatically redeems the offer and converts it into cold, hard cash. Muchos dineros, brother. Then deposits that directly into your Dosh wallet. Click the link to download and join Dosh today and get $5 just for joining. This link is exclusively in the show notes of this episode. So, show notes, special link, Dosh, $5 cash. Start on the path to quick and easy cash back on the things you love today. Hey everybody, check out the Break the Bell podcast where we believe your voice is your most powerful weapon. For a weekly dose of our take on what's going on in the world mixed with a side of history. Find us wherever podcasts are found or on social media handle at Break the Bell Pod. And most importantly, never stop talking. Prepare yourself. You're on the run with Remzo W. Martinez. Back in, I want to say it was December of 2016. Uh, That was around the time that season one of the show ended. Um, My first program, Remso Republic, Remso Martinez Experience, as it was later called. And uh, it feels like a million years ago, really, especially these days. Can you believe, at the time of this recording, it's October 5th, the presidential debate was last Tuesday. It feels like 100 million years ago. So imagine how December 2016 feels. You probably feel it like I do. And uh, Joe Walsh had come to Liberty University. I That was the first time I had become aware of him. And uh, at the time, I was very anti-Trump. I was still a card-carrying member of the Libertarian Party of Virginia at the time. And Walsh would basically choke on that MAGA dick like it was going out of style. It was really funny. And I remember I actually formally invited him to a debate about what the future of the conservative movement looks like. And he had messaged me over Twitter. We were getting everything settled, and then he just ghosted me. Like a little bitch, but that's how he rolls. And now, you know, right now, It's like we've almost entered a parallel dimension. Um, Joe Walsh no longer has a show. He wrote a book called Fuck Truth or something, or Fuck Silence, ran for president against Trump, literally goes on Twitter um, supporting Joe Biden. I mean, the man said nice shit about Bernie Sanders. And then you have me, where I'm... I'm posting some uh, some pretty po- pro-Trump stuff every once in a while. 
because it's it's hard not to post anything political. But for me, uh, this has really been a four-year journey. For those of you that have been listening to the show and just this show, you probably might be a little surprised about my politics, maybe not. But for those of you that have kind of followed everything I've been doing with all my work, you've kind of seen an evolution in how I am. And looking at Joe Walsh is kind of like a Rorschach mirror for me. And, uh, you know, now getting to the point where we're less than 30 days out from the actual election, it's uh, it's quite strange. And uh, some people have reached out to me, people who have known me for at least the past four years, and it's like they, they act surprised when they hear me say things about Trump and they're like, well, when did this happen? How, how you know, wh- why did you start changing? And it's not like enough stuff isn't out there. There are four years of podcasts. When you combine this show with the old show, we're probably looking at nearly, I want to say four or 500 episodes, really. Um, thousands, thousands of hours of recorded content and multiple documentaries and hundreds of op-eds and hundreds of guest interviews. And it's, uh, you know, one of those things that doesn't really excite me the way it used to. And it's quite funny in many ways. Let me uh, get to the point of this by kind of going on a a side tangent. Um, For those of you that follow me on Instagram, where I think I post the most fire Instagram stories that you'll see during your week. Um, I think my friend Morgan Zeggers might have the best IG stories personally, but I can't, we can't let her know that it'll go to her head. And, um, yeah, uh, I, I, I post a lot more personal stuff there. I typically do on my other social media, but one thing I do is I post about, uh, watches. I'm a watch collector. And if anyone knows one thing about watches, it's that they get expensive and it's kind of funny. Uh, no one has ever directly criticized me about this, but I've gotten like side remarks and like passive aggressive statements thrown my way about my watch collecting habit. And uh, I've got a new one in my collection. I'm actually looking at it right now. It's sexy as hell. It's uh, Long Island Watches. It's a micro brand. It's their Islander. It's basically, uh, for those of you in the know, in the brotherhood of the wristwatch, um, it's basically a Seiko SKX mod with sapphire crystal, a ceramic bezel insert, though I went for the carbon uh, bezel with the protruding indices and numeric markers that's more akin to, let's say, a Rolex Expedition, the James Cameron watch. And I threw on my own strap. It's a Barton brand, uh, black and gray, Bond-style Jetson NATO. It's got Seiko NHS uh, movement with hacking. It's it's beautiful. I love this watch. Uh, I've not taken it off since I got it the other day. And I'm going to go on a trip in a few days to Pennsylvania. And it's going to be my dedicated travel watch. But most of you don't give a shit about that. Anyway, yeah, watches are pretty expensive. Uh, this will probably be my... 30th watch and I have this new rule now that for every watch I buy I have to get rid of one so what I did was I waited for this to be marked down in price it was originally $399 uh, when I saw it listed it was $299 I sold another watch that I had that I wore maybe twice since I bought it it was an impulse buy I sold it then I also because I was the first time Long Island watches buyer got 5% off so basically I got uh, when you count the watch I sold added towards the purchase of this i probably paid um less than 150 bucks for the watch but i bought the watch in cash and this was part of a discretionary you know fuck it fund i have 
So I'm, I'm at a point now where I think I'm getting a little bit more uh, financially conservative when it comes to my watch buying habits. I don't think I'm going to buy one anytime soon, but you know I said that a long time ago. But uh, believe it or not, uh, this and comic books, probably my two biggest hobbies, and comic books, those those add up too. Um, still waiting for my signed uh, Snake Eyes Dead Game comic from Rob Liefeld. I ordered that in June. Not too happy about waiting for that, but they mentioned delays on the website for a reason. Oh well. Uh, watches and comics, comics and watches. Um, there was a time in my life where I, one, could not afford to buy comic books, and two, I did not only stop buying watches, but I was actually not wearing watches. I had one watch that I had to wear at one point because it had a heart rate monitor because I was going through some stuff in my life and I had to check my heart rate to, uh, to focus on my health for a little bit. Um, but I went through a very difficult phase in 2017 around the time I graduated from college. Um, I had been recovering from a very severe head injury that as soon as I felt like I had begun to finally recover from that, I was in a car accident, uh, that caused and has still caused uh, chronic pain in my neck. And, uh, you know, I was dealing with the death of a friend, a really good friend. Uh, my father went off to uh, North Africa for a 10-month tour that turned into more more than 10 months. I think it turned into about 12, 13 months. And uh, it, was, it was just a very difficult time. Uh, I was unemployed. I was trying to do the show full-time. I had Ryan, my producer, my brother, on payroll. And it was, uh, it was challenging, too. And my girlfriend also was still living in Lynchburg, Virginia. So, I mean, it was a very difficult time in my life. I'm emotionally not well. I'm physically not well. I'm financially poor. And, um, you know, at home, my, my family's going through their own stuff. It was very difficult. And uh, the only thing that I could still manage to do was still do a lot of political consulting. But I had the reputation of being a bit of a loser, despite having helped uh, with, you know, succeed uh somebody else that had to step down on a congressional campaign for tom garrett i I ran upset in that district uh bringing in a large large republican voter turnout but the races i did after that didn't really work out very well and um you know i stopped wearing watches and i realized the reason why and it's kind of twofold one uh, let's just face it, most men will never buy themselves a watch. Most men, at least these days, are gifted a watch. And it's usually from a loved one or a friend. So men don't really go out and buy them for themselves anymore. Uh, secondly, so one, it's a status thing because it indicates that you're, at, at least from my view, that you're cognizant of your time, you've got somewhere to be, you've got a way of affording it, each watch has a meaning. So one... I felt that without having a distinct purpose, what point of there was to keep time? Secondly, uh, I was my own worst enemy. I was, I wouldn't say scared of time, but looking at a watch then, four, you know, three, four years ago, for me was an agonizing experience because each time I saw the seconds count upwards, Every second, seconds turning into minutes, minutes turning into hours, it just showed me how much time was going away that I was never going to get back again. 
And for me, that was one of the biggest stressors. It's how much time am I wasting? How much time am I not getting back? How much time is going by where nothing is moving in my life? And for me, I had really based a lot of my worth by what I was doing and the things I was doing. I would say that I have an addictive personality and that I find a lot of meaning in the stuff I do and the stuff I create and the value I get from that. So to have not really been doing much of anything and to not really be working, and when I was working, I was getting very little money, that was definitely playing on me. So I want to say probably until 2018, 2019, really 2019, uh, if you see photos of me, which I, I, I did not, actually take a lot of photos or have people take photos of me during that time. Uh, but if there are any out there, you'll probably see me without a watch. Um, it wasn't until I really started working again and my project started keeping up when my first book came out, when I started getting more consistent work, I started wearing watches again. And through a lot of, a lot of therapy, through a lot of self-discovery, through a lot of different things, I had to really reevaluate my life. I want to say that, uh, and you've probably heard me talk about this a million times, my makeup selling job, my business-to-business makeup salesman job, uh, that was, you know, when I quit that, that was one of those moments in my life where I see a big, a big shift. And uh, long story short, through a lot of self-discovery and stuff like that, uh, I won you know, was able to not only afford my hobbies, but also have a deeper appreciation for them. Because as I tell people, I gift watches to people. Actually, I gift watches. Uh, I actually gifted a watch, a movement watch, a very nice uh, red hand black dial uh, leather uh, movement watch to uh, Cliff Maloney Jr. from Young Americans for Liberty. I bought him one for Christmas one year. And uh, he, he called me and he's like, you know, Remso, no one's ever bought me a watch before. And, uh, you know, I, I was, you know, I, I kind of expected that. That's why I kind of like doing it because, you know, watches, yeah, they can get kind of pricey. But if you buy someone a good watch, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're doing a really nice thing. But I bought him a good watch and I said, well, you know, Cliff, um, you helped me out with a lot of stuff. You were a good friend. You know, I, I wanted to gift you something that isn't just nice but also has a little bit of sentimental value to me because now when I look at watches, I don't see – the time that has just been lost, I see the time that moves forward. And I have a greater appreciation for the lesser and the more because now I understand that all time is really a gift and that we need to be good conservers of our time. Much like you would have, you know, your app. I was about to say checkbook, but no one uses freaking checks anymore. Uh, you've got your bank app that tells you your balance and how much money you have and how much you've spent and everything. I really do see watches as a ledger of the most important commodity you have, the most important resource you have, which is time. It's the only thing we don't realize we need more of until we have less of it ahead of us, and that is only a judgment call on your end. So when I give someone a watch, one, I'm giving it to a person that uh, I really value as a, as a human being, and it's not just a nice fashion accessory, but it's also something that I give to let people know that you know I, I want to share part of myself with you. Uh, two really good friends of mine, um, Zed Shake and Sean Doyle, you know them from the Degenerate panel, uh, 
on the show. Uh, we've known each other since we were about 12, 13 years old, about that time. And uh, we went through a phase where we weren't talking for many reasons, for about, I want to say, three, three and a half years, um, midway through college. And eventually, when I moved back to the Beltway, uh, we reconnected with some stuff. And, you know, our friendship has probably never been better and stronger than ever before. But, you know, this also signified that we were in a different point in our lives. And to really just remind them how much I valued the, the friendship I have with them, especially as we all were starting our own careers and making big decisions that, you know, as as young people were finally beginning to indicate we were becoming adults, I gave both of them uh, quartz invicted divers, you know, good, good dress starter watches. Uh, I got a silver one for uh, Sean, and I got a two-tone... Um, uh, gold and I think yeah gold gold and purple bezel yeah it, it was a two, it was a two tone same type of diver but it was a two tone colored one for Zed and uh, I'll never forget when Sean told me he wore that watch to an interview and I think that's what helped he he says the you know the woman looked at his watch and compliments and uh, may have gotten him the job and Zed said he went to a wedding in India and people looked at the watch and. You know, it was very stylish. I remember him posting on Instagram, and he was like, "Yeah, I look, I look fly. I look like James Bond," and uh, that that really meant a lot to me. But when I gave them to, when I gave it to each of them too, I also kind of gave them that note that you know, this is this isn't just a fashion accessory. You know, in my eyes, it's a it's a ledger of your time, and that we should be appreciative of the time we've had and the time we do have left because we don't get control over that. And, uh, you know, that was really the start of a longer journey with me. But when I wear a watch, you know, it's, I, it, it means more to me than most things do. I know for a lot of people it's kind of worthless because people think, oh, well, you know, think about your phone. But, you know, it's just there, there's something different about having a watch. That's a whole other episode in and of itself we might do later. But I uh, just wanted to kind of get it across here. Um, it has come to my attention that according to the internet, particularly Facebook, I am, uh, you know, a right-wing nutjob, and I am not a libertarian, and all this other shit. And uh, all I have to say is you don't listen to the show, obviously. You don't pay attention to anything, obviously. And I question your literacy, because I certainly know that you've never read anything I've published particularly my freaking book, Stay Away from the Libertarians, which is a comedic retelling of the modern history of the libertarian movement, which I think I paint in a pretty objective light, uh, probably more, more pro than con, because I still to this day will identify as a philosophical libertarian. And here at the We Are Libertarians Network, we have many different people on different sides of things. And what I can genuinely say is that when you listen to each of the shows here, you're getting something very, very different from each host. Everyone contributes value to the discussion, and I highly recommend listening to each show here. Uh, but, you know, with that said, we are all different. We are all different people, but we respect each other because we come under this understanding that classical liberal values of free speech, civil liberties, private property, and nonviolence are key. And that as long as you abide by those things, you have a home at the We Are Libertarians Network.
Now, I go ahead and sometimes I like to poke the bear that is the internet, especially random people. I, if you've heard me talk about simulation theory elsewhere, and no, I'm not going to link to it. You should just be paying attention to everything I'm doing because I'm awesome. Uh, you, you probably know that I believe that most people, and this is not just a simulation theory thing. It's also something proven by Facebook. A lot of the people you see comments on Facebook actually might not be real people. That's not a guess. Go Google that shit. But anyway, I, uh, it, it's really funny because I came out and I said Donald Trump is the greatest president of my lifetime. I am 25. I was born in 1994. So I grew up during the Clinton administration. I remember my parents taking me to the Mall of Sierra Vista to go vote. And my parents asked me, my, uh, my parents asked me, who, do, who should we vote for? And I said, Abraham Lincoln. And then they told me, you can't because he's dead. And I said, well, why not? And then they said, because he's dead. And I said, okay vote for George Bush. And they said, why? And I said, because he likes dogs. That's why I learned in kindergarten that, uh, that he likes dogs and that uh, Al Gore is not a dog person. So that's where I was able to influence my parents. Obviously, they were just patronizing me as a kid. They knew who they were going to vote for. They were Republicans. And that was that. And then by the time I was becoming pretty politically cognizant, it was during the Obama years. And then as an adult, now I'm here during the age of Trump. I started get, getting into politics during the Obama years. And uh, yeah, so <laughs> just with that, um, you know, the, the bar for what is considered a good president is pretty low. But, uh, you know, you, you probably read the title, Why I'm Voting for Donald Trump and Why You Shouldn't Care. And um I'm going to stand by that. I'm actually not going to tell you because I don't feel the need to convince you. You're adults. You hear it all the time. Other people trying to tell you what to think. I'm not going to tell you what to think because I don't want to waste time doing that. I don't feel that I'm genuinely going to contribute anything new. Just believe that I have done my research. I have done my time. I have come from a journey. I did not vote for Donald Trump in 2016. However, I am voting for him this year. And uh, that's about it. I, I do want to ask, however, because I know I'm going to get people that, A, still want to demand an answer because they feel obligated to answer, and two, will not listen to this episode and will just go into the comments of something online and just start contributing their two cents that, I mean, really doesn't fucking matter to me. And uh, it's it's going to cause a stir based off the title alone. So imagine you're, you know, imagine how I feel. You know, you're going to deal with a lot of people that just don't pay attention, don't listen, don't care, don't actually do their due diligence to understand what's actually going on. Because I'm not here to talk to you about why I'm voting for Donald Trump or why I'm not voting for Joe Jurgensen or why I'm not voting for Biden or anything else. Uh, I, I want to ask, why does it matter to you? Why does what I do with my vote matter to you? And I'll even take a step further. If you don't agree with me, do you feel that my vote for him threatens you? I think that's a very rational question to ask because of how emotional people get. I was in the state of New Hampshire uh, with Young Americans for Liberty for a campaign in 2018 I was speaking with the wife at one polling station of a man who was running for the House of Representatives in New Hampshire, and we were having a lovely conversation. 
Uh, I told her I did not typically vote Republican, but somehow in the conversation it came across that I liked Donald Trump. And here we are having this really nice, lovely conversation, and then she snaps at me and screams, What's wrong with you? What is wrong with you? And the whole thing was just derailed from there. And I think that conversation is what made me really not want to talk with other people who were different from me politically about politics. Because I didn't want to have that ruin what would otherwise be a good conversation about literally anything else. Because everything is just so emotional for crying out loud. But really, does it bother you? Do you feel that I owe you an explanation? If, If any of this actually matters to you, then I can probably assume that you probably are not a consistent listener of this show. I said very, very early on. I'm pretty sure I dedicated multiple episodes to at least covering this topic, but it's that why do we care so much about politics? It's because through politics, it's the biggest weapon of organized violence on the face of the earth. It is the biggest tool of force and coercion within our lives. It is a loaded gun that every couple of years we flip to see who gets to hold it at everyone else. And it's gotten to the point where we care more about who lives on 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue than what actually goes on, not just within their own community, school board, city council, treasurers, all that stuff, but what goes on in their own lives. Is our health taken care of? Are kids okay? How are our parents? When was the last time you called your friends? Are your finances good? Do you feel comfortable in your job, in your relationships? All that talk I did about, you know, me and watches and everything else, during that time in my life, I feel like a transition began to occur. Because for so long, I was so fixated on things outside of my control that I thought in order to drastically improve my life, I had to go through the one plane of existence where really the least amount of change in your world actually occurs, which is politics, particularly elections. And as I began to distance myself from all of that and focus on my own challenges, my own issues, my own insecurities it began to become really clear that my life became better when I could actually control the controllables. And this is what has brought us on the journey that is this podcast on the run. I was re- This was not something I had intended on really doing. Uh, I was actually trying to, one, focus more on myself as an author, and two, uh, focus on my paranormal ghost hunting show, The Witching Hour. In fact, uh, I thought about coming back to podcasting after the Remsen Martinez experience. It kind of tapered off, and my brother Ryan, who was the producer for that show, he um, he uh, said, you know, you're, you're doing – 
TV, which is nice. You know, we're on these public access stations and it's doing well on YouTube. But, you know, podcasting's always going to be your thing. Have you thought about, I don't know, maybe going back to not necessarily politics, but doing something maybe of Chris Spangle at We Are Libertarians because he, like I, was a fan. And I said, no, Chris doesn't have the time for that. He doesn't want to deal with me. And two days later, he Chris reaches out to me and he says, hey, I want to expand the network. If you're interested in coming back to podcasting, we would like you to come on. And that's what started all of this. But I really told Chris at the beginning that this would not be a political show. Uh, Remso the Pundit is dead. This is going to be Remso the Explorer. And all these episodes in now, more than 50, we've covered so many different things. Uh, Different lifestyles, different ways to evaluate your life, different ways of achieving actual freedom that is obtainable within your lifetime. And almost none of them have involved really being involved in the political process at all. And I want to keep it that way. I didn't really want to record this, but I felt like this was kind of necessary. Because as I asked you before, does what I do really matter? Uh, If you agree with me or not, it doesn't really change anything. Because... I think what we can both agree is that we're not free until we make actual actions to achieve that freedom. The big question is, what is freedom? If you think that you're not free because we live in a centralized fiat banking system and therefore there's no point in trying to actually get your finances under control and make and earn more money and actually become wealthy enough to actually buy back your own time, if you think you have to abolish the Federal Reserve for that, well, I mean, you're, you're a small-minded person, and you've already defeated yourself, and you're probably in a state of constant victimhood because you're looking for things to blame. There are always things to blame. Uh, I, you know, I love soda. I, 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 blame, I blame, you know, Coca-Cola and PepsiCo, which I'm also a shareholder of. That's how much I fucking love both those companies uh, for making such delicious products. I should probably, uh, you know, stop drinking them, but, you know, I actually have a can of Sprite right next to me. One second. Ugh, three gulps and we're out. Good. Um, you know, I, I know the truth. I'm still going to keep drinking this shit because I like it. But, you know, we, we need to identify the things that we can actually begin to make changes of. And, um, you know, I've brought in enough people on the show who have been able to define their lives by what they want their passions to align with, that have been able to make the hard choices in order to achieve actual freedom. And ultimately, what I can tell you with 100% certainty is that whether Trump wins or Biden wins, none of my plans change. None of my goals will be altered. Nothing about my life is going to significantly improve or become hampered because ultimately... I know that the biggest things that will make my life better and my life freer and myself happier have nothing to do with who's elected. And I know that because I was poor and I was not happy during the Obama years and during the first couple years of Trump. (laughs) I was basically in the same position. And... It, it you know in those moments i just understand that you know there's there's a lot of 
there's a lot of factors that go into why we're so passionate about things. Do I want Joe Biden to be president? No. But if, you know, I don't like a lot of things happening. I don't like the fact that the XFL got canceled. I could bitch about that. Now, I know some of you are thinking, well, you know, if we're talking about sports, you're equating it to politics, and politics is a mechanism of violence, and according to Rothbard, blah, 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 and I, you know, we, we can get into that, but, like, life is full of inconveniences. What matters is what we do about it, and uh, I hope that if you're listening to this show, you've become to identify that. You've become, you've become, you have begun to recognize that there's more of a journey and that unless you put yourself as the main character of your journey you're not going to get very far because you're always going to just be a supporting character um i don't get too much into religion on this show but i'm going to contradict what i said just now which is make yourself the main character, the protagonist of your own story, and stop being a supporting character. Uh, I think that's a very good, basic level of understanding as to how to interpret things around you. Maybe even much of a, you know, Ayn Rand objectivist approach. But I want to recon- I want to kind of refocus that for a second. What about for Christians, people who are practicing Christians, like myself? I would say that you need to constantly focus on the only main character that matters, and that is Jesus Christ. You are the supporting character in his story. Everything follows around him. And that when you allow other people or other things or things outside of your control to drift you away from him being at your forethought, things are not going to work out. You're probably caught off guard. Why is he talking about religion now? Well, religion was also a big part of what helped me get my life back on track during my most difficult period when I realized that, you know, uh, a lot of my friend, people I thought were friends are not friends. A lot of things I wanted to do just are not happening. I'm not happy. I've got nothing. I've got to I've got to sell collectibles and stuff to pawn shops to get gas money to go work on campaigns and stuff like that. Not happy. Um, you know, one day after I had quit that job selling makeup business to business, uh, I went around town. I did this usual tradition of what I did whenever I would find myself out of work. I'd get some, uh, I'd get a polo on and some slacks and my nice saddle shoes and my, uh, getting my Kia Soul at the time, which is basically like a mobile apartment, trashed as hell. And uh, I'd print out maybe like 30 copies. And I said, I'm going to go around town. I'm going to go ahead and... Uh, just go meet as many managers as possible, drop off my resume, and apply as many jobs as possible. And I uh, I drove by a church in my neighborhood that I had never been to. It's kind of a mega church, and I dropped by and I met someone that worked in like their community services department. I basically said, "Listen, I need a job. I'll do anything. I will literally. If you guys need a janitor right now, I will literally start." cleaning toilets and mopping floors today. That's how badly I need a job. And the guy sat down and we talked. I told I told him what happened. I had a job where I was uh, doing very dishonest things and I was colluding with dishonest people and I was selling stuff that was just, you know, I, I didn't know where the makeup came from. I'm pretty sure it was tainted with lead. And uh, it was just not a good 
it was not good for me as a profession. It was not good for me as a person. And uh, we prayed. We prayed. And he said, things are going to look up. You're already making better choices, and you're more honest with yourself. And within a day of that, I went to a, a local GameStop, and I had an on-the-spot interview. And within two to three days, uh, I ended up getting getting a job. And, you know, it's one of those things where um, stuff doesn't you know, stuff just happens in a way that is out, out of our control. What ended up happening actually later, I think, oh gosh, I, I had so many freaking jobs the last couple of years. I can't remember if GameStop came before or after that, but I do really remember that after the makeup job, after I actually started attending that church for a bit, that was when I got a phone call from, no, I got an email. Ugh, it's all kind of mushed together. Yeah, I got an email from Cliff Maloney, who I had worked with when I was interning at uh, Young Americans for Liberty. And he said, Remso, I actually almost deleted the, the email because I thought it was a fundraising email. The email was, Remso, would you ever want to work at the Washington Times? And I said, yes. And he helped, hooked me up with that. And that job at the Washington Times uh, was really the, the biggest social ladder move, professional ladder move in my life. I, I was so thankful for that job. Uh, job. Not a day goes by where I'm not thankful to have had that opportunity. And since then, I've moved on to a parlor, which I which I do value immensely. But that job at the Washington Times really is what changed me. But, um, you know, during that time, I could have I could have done a lot of things. I could have made a lot of choices, but I had to immediately take care of myself. But it wasn't until I really began to reorient myself on the things that mattered to me, which was who am I as a person? What am I doing with my time? What am I doing with my life? What am I doing with my actions? It wasn't until I began to reorient myself that, uh, you know, a lot of things that used to matter to me really just showed themselves to be false idols and smoke screens. And now I'm a better friend, I'm a better partner. I'm a better employee. I'm a better, um, you know, brother, son. In many ways, I'm a better person because I understand that there are immediate things that are within my control that are going to be everlasting regardless as to what happens around me. And elections are one of those things. I genuinely, it's not that I'm saying it doesn't matter. Of course it matters. But if you're going to go ahead and say that your life is drastically affected by who is in the White House or who gets elected to Congress or by what party is in control, if you're saying that that is the biggest thing preventing you from being happier, from being wealthier, from being healthier, from being better, you're not paying attention. You're just not paying attention. And on this show, what I would like to think is that you're a step above the usual crowd. This is not a show for many thousands of people. This is not a show for millions of people. I would like it to be. But what I know is that the things that we talk about are for people that actually take a vested interest in their future and are actually trying to do things to become better and worldlier and wiser. And I would rather talk to a handful of people that are actually trying to make an impact in their lives and the lives of those around them than those who are just going to bitch and bitch and bitch about politics. What I can tell you as a matter of fact is that through the 50 plus episodes of this show thus far, 
I have had more interactions with you, the listener, than I did when I was getting tens of thousands of downloads, bringing in high-profile guests talking nothing from but politics on the old show. Am I saying I'm, ash- I'm ashamed or embarrassed of the old show? Not at all. All of that led to me here. But there's a reason why that is that show and this is this show. It's because even though the host is me, I'm not the same person. And frankly, if you want, you know, hot takes and stuff on politics, there are better people than me. There are very better people than me. That part of my life is over. And it's genuine. I wrote my book. I wrote two books. One about who libertarians are. Another about why I'm basically done with politics. It was a novel. It was fiction. But a lot of my own experiences were put in that. And when that chapter of my life ended, it really did end. Uh, Am I still active in politics? To some degree. To some degree. I don't talk about it publicly because it's really nobody's business. And while there are some things I would like to brag about, while there are some things that I want to really talk to you about, um, I just don't feel that really it's it's anybody's business and that I'm actually contributing anything. I think me doing the stuff that I'm doing is good because I want to do it, but it's not uh, the biggest massive priority in my life. I do it for my own reasons that are independent of you. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, I don't even really talk to my family about this stuff. It's just stuff that I do when I have time. But with that said, Uh, In many ways, I am still kind of involved. I work for a social media company that's founded on privacy and free speech. We're, We're very much in the news regularly. It's kind of funny if you think about it, because I wouldn't be working here if I hadn't gotten the job at the time, if I hadn't done all the other stuff before that. But for this job specifically, uh, many of you remember my interview with John Mates, CEO of Parler. Yeah. Kind of funny that he was once a guest here, and now I'm working for him. I call him Sir. And Jeffrey Wernick, who was an early guest on this show, about Bitcoin. And now I also work for Jeffrey. It, these are interesting times, and I'm happy for everything that has happened because ultimately it has made me better. Uh, I, I would never have been better of money if I hadn't first been irresponsible with it and felt the pain of what it is to be fiscally irresponsible with one's money, to be financially illiterate, to be impulsive. I would not have been a good employee had I not had to go through a whole bunch of stuff. You want to know what the sign of a good employee is? Take somebody who's a best-selling author, who's been on radio, who's uh, you know rubbed elbows with important fancy people on TV, and then end up working at GameStop for minimum wage, and your supervisor is a 16-year-old with a learner's permit. Stock in the shelves, yeah, it's an easy thing to do, but contrary to what you may think, I saw a lot of people older than me who had jobs, who needed work, do it, and they did it with an attitude because they felt that they were entitled to do more, because they were older, they were smarter, they had more experiences. Let me tell you this, especially since a lot of you were probably out of work at one point, particularly during this pandemic, if you are in a position where you are subordinate to someone, you be obedient, and you do your job to the best of your ability. And nothing taught me that more 
when I was dealing with a with a high school girl who was one of my managers or supervisors, one or the other, and I had to get better about alphabetizing the games I was putting on the shelves. Yeah, big piece of humble pie I had to eat, but you better fucking believe I became the best employee of the of the fall season. So much so, not also because I realized I can get more hours out of it, which meant I could get paid more by working more. But I not only started working at you know more hours at my home store, I even got added to another store that was short staffed, and I was trained to do the register and everything else. So I had more opportunity to make more money. And uh, nothing, many of you probably do know this, but nothing makes you feel prouder and worse at the same time than working a ton of hours really hard to the best of your ability you're getting praise from your from your supervisors and then you see your paycheck and it's almost nothing it's almost like none of it even mattered and i remember i was sitting with my father and he looked at me and he, you know i was i was really excited because it was my first payday after uh after a couple of weeks and you know he knew it was payday and he looked at my face, and I was like, I was just very, very mellow, very, very glum all of a sudden. He's like, what's wrong? And I said, I just saw my paycheck. And he's like, how much was it? And I'm like, it's next to nothing because it was like seven twenty-five an hour, and I worked all these hours, but it's like it's like nothing. And I rubbed my eyes, and I looked at him, and I'm like, I'm like I've never worked so hard for so little in my life. And my father could have done anything. But he came over to me and he, he gave me a hug and he said, but you're doing it good because you have dignity. And I could have stayed upset after that, but ironically, I also had to go to work that night. And I washed my face, I put on a clean shirt, grabbed some lunch, went to work, and I stocked those shelves and dealt with customers left and right. I did it with a smile. Uh, you've probably heard me talk about the makeup job a lot. You probably heard me talk about GameStop a lot. Um, those were big moments in my life because they taught me things about myself that I wouldn't have had otherwise. And while they're not the sexiest, most glamorous jobs, I learned more about myself through the shit than I did as a campaign consultant, as a staffer as a campaign manager, as a pundit, as a writer. Because when things are good, they're good. It's hard to be positive when things are not good. And I look at the things when I look back at, you know, a couple years ago and everything, and I'm trying to remember, you know, like, what were my priorities? Where were my thoughts? And my thoughts were on things outside of my control. This election, despite my vote, is out of my control. And ultimately, it's out of your control too. So if Trump is the first thing and the last thing that leaves your mouth each and every day, you need to move the fuck on with your life, regardless to where you are in the political spectrum. Because if that's all you're focusing on, let me tell you this. When he's gone, there will be somebody else who takes up the forefront of your time. And most of your headspace. And you're going to either love them or hate them. And then those people will leave. And there'll be somebody else there. 
And the cycle just keeps going and going and going and going and going. The only way it's going to stop is when you take back your own time, when you take back your own concentration, and when you take back your own ability to succeed because of your own actions and forget the things that are outside of your control. Because the last thing you want is to end up like people I see now who have big responsibilities. They've got big families. They've got spouses. They've got parents to take care of. Yet it seems like all they do is post shit about politics online. I'm sorry to tell you this, but Nancy Pelosi and Mitch McConnell are not going to pay your fucking bills. That second stimulus check probably isn't coming. And if it is, you're going to spend that $1,200 faster than you got it. It's going to be like it never fucking existed. Somebody gave you that money, and then you just gave it to somebody else, and you're immediately worrying about what's next. And then the next problem that's out of your control comes. And then the next one. And then the next one. And then the next one. And I don't think at that moment you're going to think, oh, this is all because Remso voted for Trump. I'll let you in on another secret. I looked at my ballot that's coming up. I'm not even voting straight-ticket Republican. I'm not. I'm not writing in somebody. Oh, you're probably thinking, well, there's no third parties on the ballot for Congress and Senate. Yeah, that's right. At least for one of them, I know I'm voting Democrat. Is it for Senate? Is it for Congress? Is it for both? Why is he doing that? How could he vote for Trump and vote for somebody else at the same time? Well, that's going to be the mystery. And guess what? I'm not giving you the answer. Because it doesn't matter. Because I don't owe it to you. Because I only want to contribute you to you things that are going to help you. And me giving you my hot takes on politics and who I'm voting for and why I think you should vote for them don't really matter. Because come a few weeks from now, I'm either going to be really right or I'm going to be really wrong. Or let's say I get my way on that. There's not even anything within a shadow of a doubt that makes me think I'm even going to get half of what they're fucking talking about. And it won't matter six months from now, or the next election, or the election after that. It's just not. Everything else we talk about will. Whether I'm interviewing ghost hunters talking about what is life after death, or whether I'm talking to my friends, asking them questions about living a different lifestyle than what I ever did, or I'm talking to people who have had extremely severe hardships and how they're able to overcome it, or people that just want to have fun and remind ourselves of the times and the friendships and the things that keep us going. Such as when I have my friends on the Degenerate panel and we talk about our childhood and we talk about the things we enjoy. Because it's as good for me to remind myself about what I love and what makes me happy as it is to remind you of that. I want to end on a, on a lighter, happier note. I didn't really know the show would get past 50 episodes. I really wondered whether or not it would do well. I wondered whether people would listen. And as I began to do more monologue episodes, I really wanted to know whether or not people would listen to that. 
contrary popular belief, I'm not a very um, sociable person. I'm very much a introvert. It's hard for me to go ahead and you really speak in front of crowds sometimes. I actually used to do that a lot. I did, I did a few college speaking events. I went to Vegas and spoke on a panel for Turning Point USA at Freedom Fest and stuff. Like I could do it. I don't prefer to do it because it's just not in my nature. So when I started doing monologues, it was very hard for me to go this long. Now we're touching up on an hour, and I'm looking at this thinking, man, maybe I could go a little bit longer. Should I? Should I not? I really don't plan these out. I start with an idea, and I go forward with them from there. But to get back to the point, it's been an amazing opportunity to really talk about the things that not only matter to me but matter to you. It means so much that I'm part of your day. I don't take that for granted a second because I know how valuable time is. Because the time that you're spending listening to me, and if you're like me and you listen to podcasts, you're probably doing something else. Like you're at the gym or you're driving or you're just doing some work. Irregardless of whether I'm your focus or I'm just a distraction, I appreciate it. Because you've got other options out there. And it means so much to me that what I have to say matters. Therefore, I don't want to ever waste your time with things that don't. And hopefully, I have the wisdom to know the difference. We're coming up on an election. What I want to say is, go out and vote, or don't. But, as my good friend Stephen Kent says, go vote and start planning for the holidays. The holidays are going to be different for many reasons outside of your control. But we can control our next steps, which are hopefully to make them happy and enjoyable and memorable. I don't know about you, but on Thanksgiving this year, I'm going to have pot roast with my family. Or maybe, yeah, I think we're going to do prime rib. Yeah, prime rib sounds good. And I'm going to get a bottle of red wine, and I'm going to get shit-faced and watch Rocky. That's going to be the plan. It's been an absolute pleasure getting to speak with you all. 50 plus episodes in, I can already tell you I'm excited for what the rest of the year and for what 2021 is going to bring because we're only getting bigger and better and the guests are better and the topics are bigger and it's just compounding awesomeness. And uh, I'm back at writing again. I'm going to be contributing bi-monthly for Ann's Magazine, where I used to be a columnist. I'm back. You're going to see a lot more of uh, content there. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think I've spoken about it here yet, but many of you do know I have another podcast with Mark Clare, the Second Print Comics podcast. I have such a good freaking time with that. 90-minute episodes talking about comics, pop culture, movies, everything we love with, uh, you know, somebody who's been a good friend and a mentor and somebody who, uh, you know, I, I really cherish that friendship and what we've been able to build in the community over at the Second Print Comics Fan Zone on Facebook we've been able to make. Uh, you know, just doing a completely non-political project. Mark and I were nervous about how that would do. And, I mean, you know, good time and good opportunity, good good work habits. Uh, I, I love doing that show. And we've got more Second Print Comics podcast stuff coming to you. So what I'm trying to get at is let's just have fun. Let's learn, let's laugh, let's have a good time, let's be better. As always, this is On The Run, 
Follow me everywhere online at HeyRemso, H-E-Y-R-E-M-S-O. Find me on Parlor if you want to have a damn, damn good dirty time. <laughs> on Parlor, just at Remso. I'm the only Remso there. If you ever see Remso 2 pop up, message them inside and bully them. As always, Remso W. Martinez, you're listening to On the Run. Be good, be safe, good night. shows and more from the We Are Libertarians network at wearelibertarians.com.